Really? Yeah. Don't and think it's going to be Denver. Yeah. Don't think that's possible. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Given we play each other, we're going to have to at most get ties there. Six, nine, and two. Yes. That doesn't even. That's not even right. That's, that's too many games. <laughs> it's going well, Harry. It's I give up. Well. I retire. I retire. Yeah. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. So this week we will be looking at a lot of stories from around the league, a couple of games from last week, some of your questions, and then moving on to our picks for next week's games. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we got Harry, yeah. and we got Fitz. Hello. So lads, how are we getting on? I'm sure you're in a much happier mood than normal, you weren't in work today, Harry. Yeah, I'm off for the next couple of days, it's been, uh, it's been great. I spent uh, all of today mostly sleeping and doing green party stuff, I actually had to unfortunately delay the uh, start of the podcast for a few minutes because uh, I'm That's not good. very good at timing the, the, couple, the couple of minutes meant that we got confirmation of some of the bans and suspensions yeah it worked out it worked so. out alright in the end yeah. uh, so sorry about that but yeah we've got a few not a huge amount of stuff to get through from that perspective but we've got one or two quite important things that we need to work out what we want to do with so mm. a lot of kind of trying to work out what we need what needs changing what needs improving what yeah, can like, be done what are you gonna, what, you know how, how are you going to deal with your policies now we're going to have a united Ireland well actually we are <laughs> one of two all island political parties and we definitely don't talk about the other guys <laughs> no we, we, we do we have, we have the Green Party of Northern Ireland they've got uh, two MLAs Bunch of councillors. Oh, I just meant that the other party is Sinn Féin, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, but there you go. <laughs> oh, mean. and Fina, Fina Fall set up their first yeah, comment up there, didn't come they? Come on, like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what about yourself, Fitz? How's all down in Cork? Uh, grand enough. I actually had uh, Neil Fraser, a mutual friend, down on Sunday, so I was hanging out with him and uh, our other mutual friend, Sean Butler. Just that was a good Sunday, and then Sunday only got better on Sunday night with uh, the <laughs> Hawks. But uh, other than that, keeping pretty quiet, hoping that. Uh, you know, the MVP talk for Russell Wilson can only continue to grow. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, the team is nothing without him. We'll give him that much. But no, uh, yeah, nothing too wild here. I was just flat to the mat doing study bits and things. Got my first assignment put in today. So that was good. I had a, helped you? Yeah, yeah, like I gave you a shout earlier just to check. Like I was like, this doesn't make any sense. It's like, it doesn't, but I suppose it's what they want you to do. Uh, and then I had then I had a really awkward moment. When I realized like they were saying, "Oh, suggested length of the assignment is two and a half thousand words." And I was looking at mine; it was completed and it was all correct, but it was like twelve hundred words long. <laughs> I was like, "This is not an essay question. It's mostly like computational statistics." Right. So like, how do you have a word count for? I, yeah, exactly. That's what I. So I just like I just bullshitted for a bit and I like, just fluffed up short answers. Uh, so I got it to like. 2200 words and I just put it in then uh, I partially I did that by copying in the text of the questions that I was answering so they were on the page oh my God. <laughs> but uh, I, at that point I'd already gotten it up to 1800 and I didn't feel too bad about it uh, so I suppose we'll kick into all the bits from around the league so we've got big news I suppose in New York is where we'll start off they've hired, fired their head coach Ben McAdoo a uh, call that we all saw coming and GM Jerry Reese, which we thought maybe was coming but maybe not at the same time Uh this was just, yeah, they've, they've, they've come out and said, the owner John Maris come out and said that it was pointless to wait any further. This comes directly after the mishandling of the benching of Eli Manning. So we discussed this at the tail end of the game last week, or of the show last week. Uh, this news came in. He was going to be benched. Apparently there was an offer for him to start games, and then that was miscommunicated that they actually meant start games, and they just wanted to see these new players uh, at the back end of games and things like that. It was ridiculous. No one was happy. There was just uproar in the media over this, and uh, there's already rumours circling that Eli will be put back into the starting lineup. But whether that's too little, too late, because like I said, boys, all above the hype train, Eli Manning is going to win his third ring down in Jacksonville next year. Uh, so, what do we make of this? Are we happy? I suppose we probably are. Don't have to look at that mustache anymore, right? 
Yeah, well, I think it's but it, it's good that something has someone's head has rolled for this mess, and it's been a long-standing mess at this point in New York. McAdoo has been a disaster. Let's be honest. Jerry Reese has been living on borrowed time for a very long time. Uh, they've struggled to identify and develop talent really over the last while. There was there have been some attempts to do it, but it's like yes, great. Now we have all these receiving targets. We still have no O line. We haven't had an O line for years. What are we doing? The thing that's interesting is that McAdoo initially said, "Oh, I'm you know I've run this past the ownership," and then what's come out after this is that uh, Mara was like, "Well, you know, it was run past me, but I gave the final say to McAdoo." Yeah. So you wonder if there was a sense of just this was a very convenient juncture for John Mara to get these guys gone, and it's like Look, these guys have had a brilliant brainwave. Sure, let's give them enough rope to hang themselves if they want to start mm-hmm. Geno Smith. It's a, it's just a mess. Yeah, it's just a messy old situation. Like, Ronan, this is the type of kind of disorganization and kind of responsive approach to a team that we're not really used to seeing out of this Giants organization. Is this something for the good? Or is this just, like, essentially pulling off a Band-Aid now rather than next year so you can feel like you're starting the season fresher? Yeah, I think... It's one of those situations where even the most generous of ownership realizes when a head coach, in particular in this case, and a GM to a lesser extent, but still certainly culpable, have made a complete another toss-up that not only gets the fans against them, it gets the players against them, it gets the media against them. At the point at which they pulled the Eli Manning move, you have a bad season and you turn it into an utter, complete dumpster fire of a season. Like Eli Manning, whatever his play over the last few years is like the most respected man in that organization. He has come into work every single game. He had the longest running successive wins. And then for them to like not only bench him, but to do it in this kind of half assay where they had that offer, it has oh we'll let you start games, but we'll pull you in the second half to let Geno Smith and Davis Webb play. Like that's obviously an insult. Eli Manning saw for what it is and he realized that that was making a mockery of the idea of going on the streak and being pulled at halftime. It's hard to imagine how they could have screwed us up anymore. And I think it's just one of these situations that when you screw up so much and you're having such a bad season regardless of these screw-ups, I think it's just a case that the ownership's like, okay, I don't want to have to deal with four more weeks of the media breathing down my neck, of Mm -hmm. the players breathing down my neck. It's easier just to rip the band-aid off now and get it over and done with because I just don't want to deal with that shit, basically. Uh, And, you know, like I doubt they'll do anything before the end of the season or make any announcements. Uh, although there's talk of John Gruden already sniffing around. Uh, but I think they'll wait. I think they'll give it time. Uh, and they'll just let this kind of stew over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And maybe the, maybe the team has some kind of reaction when Eli gets back into the lineup, which is looking likely at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's be honest. Like, it's hard to sell anyone on Gino Smith. Obviously, this means that they can get their feelers out good and early for potential new candidates. So uh, we'll move on to some injuries from around the league. So Pittsburgh had a few. Uh, one in particular, we will be discussing this. Brian Chazier, their linebacker, has a spinal contusion. Uh, he was carted off the field. Uh, not being able to move any of his extremities was brought to the hospital overnight he has now regained movement in some of his uh, extremities they're saying it looks hopeful but the next 48 hours are incredibly important about it this is a huge loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers who have come to rely on him at the line, their linebacker core but also this is a very dangerous uh, dangerous injury for someone to to receive in this game and it kind of worries you a little bit about how violent that game was last night yeah well I mean there was obviously a <laughs> ridiculous uh, game I didn't I didn't see it live and I'm quite glad I didn't because watching the condensed version was more than enough without having to sit through extended replays of the horror show tackling that was going on there the weird thing about the Shazir injury is entirely self-inflicted mm. it was just a really poorly executed tackle and as we know when you go headhunting and leading with your head like that 
sometimes this, this kind of thing happens, rarely this severely, but we have seen players knock themselves out and suffer neck injuries doing this kind of thing before. Yeah. I get it, you know, it's hard-hitting, it's the rivalry game, it's oh, AFC North football, thanks to the insight, Ben Roethlisberger. Why the f- you might as well stick a microphone in front of a fucking buffalo like and expect some insight. Yeah. But you, you have to coach this kind of technique out of players, and it's something you see in the college game as well, and I presume in high school. Players tackle dangerously and don't have the technique. This is something I wanted to say. Is like I, As much as we say this is things that happen in these games I want to know why we're not blaming the coaches in this more often they're whipping these guys up to this they're encouraging Mike Tomlin and the likes are encouraging these guys to get in this way Juju Smith-Schuster delivers a crushing block onto onto Vontaze Burfitt he's never he doesn't know the man he doesn't give a shit about that if that's not coming from his teammates and from his coaches telling him to go out there and congratulating him on doing that type of playing that style of football against that team and encouraging that like that's not coming from him coming in going oh I'm a stealer now I just guess I really hate this guy like that is something that the coaches want and they coach into it as much as we're going to have these hand wringing oh this isn't what the NFL is meant to be about it's going to drive fucking ratings for them they're going to love this that these games are going to be in primetime next year there's been a movement in the last few years to get rid of these head-on like head-hunting type tackles where you go head first and try and replace them with what are basically rugby type tackles where you use the shoulder and you wrap around and you bring them down which not only is much safer but actually tends to be more effective because you kind of use the momentum against them rather than yeah. trying to basically block head on there's really no excuse for defensive corners to do that like the Seahawks had a whole basically system that they ran around the entire league uh, two, two, three or four years ago like basically giving here's what we do we're one of the best tackling leagues in the team please do this it's safer it's better stop doing the stupid things but it just seems that certain players they, they have, have a certain attitude or certain teams have a certain attitude and they want to keep keep that kind of persona uh, but we see here that both in the sense of being destructive to the opposing team and also increasing the risk to yourself, it's just not worth it and that you cut this shit out. And maybe just ban these two teams from playing each other, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, for a year just to you know, replace it with some other game because this is just getting ridiculous. Yeah, fuck it, we'll move Cincinnati to the NFC South, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, that's, I think that's a really key thing both of you have hit on there. Um, and it's like, this isn't just about, you know, violence in the game or players acting recklessly. It's coaches lack of care towards their own players and this is what's happened to Ryan Shazier like this is a coaching staff fucking Joey Porter of course Mike Mike Tomlin is a scumbag whoever is responsible whether it's the linebackers coach the defense coordinator the head coach somebody's got to put their foot down the buck stops here at some point you cannot let your players tackle like this because sure you want to go out and hurt the opposition that's bad but it's your job to look after these guys and you're letting them go out and cripple themselves that's just yeah no it's it's ridiculous uh, Helps nobody. Obviously, attached to that, Vontis Burfett has injured his head. We're not sure what the designation there is. I believe it was concussion protocol he's being looked at. Uh, so we'll get some more information on that. Uh, just in terms of other teams who are kind of in the hunt still, Aaron Rodgers is back practicing following his collarbone injury. Uh, they have a game against the Browns next week, so we'll imagine they'll get one more win. Uh, so this is going to make it very interesting and will cause big questions next week about whether or not uh, Aaron Rodgers will be coming back. I'm sure we'll talk about that on next week's show in advance of the upcoming games. And uh, Buffalo quarterback Tyrod, well, we say quarterback, he might be, he might not be. It changes quite a lot. <laughs> Uh, he has injured his knee and he's now day to day so uh, we'll see what the story is on that but uh, let's be honest they didn't look to be up to much this week we'll move on to I suppose our favourite part of this and every week uh, crime and punishment what are they going to do it's probably felonies a lot of these again if they were not happening on a football field would be Rob Gronkowski has received a one game ban for just deciding to like like drop the elbow WWE style onto Tredavious White because he was a bit pissed off in the game they were up by a ton of points it was a stupid decision and now he's going to miss a game like 
this is your team's guy. What do you ever like? People give out about Travis Kelsey. You need they both need to cut the fuck on in this kind and of stuff. This is, this is to be fair. This is the only time I can ever think of Gronk doing something like this. Like the worst he ever did before this was when he threw Mike Adams out of the club by sustaining a block all the way to the ground. Mm. It's it is uncharacteristic for him. That's still no excuse. It was a bullshit hit. It was pointless. Like when we were watching it, I first because it was so out of the blue. Oh, I yeah. thought he was pushed. You thought, like, yeah, you thought he was shoved off. Like, somebody like, must have pushed him. There is no way you would just drop on. And he did. And he, like White had to be taken out of the game. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. A one game ban is absolutely the correct thing here. And um, it sounds like the you know Belichick has said, "Yep, yeah, this is yeah, nonsense. Nobody's so. nobody's defending him. Quite right too. Hopefully he never does it again. If he does, I hope he gets banned for longer." Uh, but hopefully this was just a one-off incident and he'll learn from this because it was just unnecessary, it was stupid, it was violent. And like you said, they were f- running away with the yeah. game. What was the point? Not, 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 this doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, Marcus Peters is facing disciplinary action from both the league and from uh, the Kansas City Chiefs after in uh, throwing a penalty flag into the stands where it was caught by several young Jewish gentlemen who then enjoyed taking a pile of selfies with it uh, as someone said on another podcast you don't really get to touch the ref's flag so this might be the first like celebratory like flag fan memorabilia police that's ever ended up in the stadium that you've caught during a game but um, yeah Marcus Peters just frustrated after the defence essentially being a bag of shit for the entire game uh, picked up a flag in the end zone after another penalty on the KC defence got angry threw it into the stands we then thought he was ejected from the game left the game with a, with a member of the team and then was informed about four minutes later uh, that he was not in fact ejected from the game and returned without any socks on it was great if you're not a fan of the Chiefs it was uh, just fuck stupid again just stupid I can get why he's frustrated but you need to be more grown up than this it was an interesting interesting week for flags wasn't it because uh, Alex Mack got knocked out <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah that was brilliant actually he just um, like, got hit in, the, hit in the face with it as it was uh, coming away uh, we mentioned there Juju Smith-Schuster had a big block against Burfitt uh, so he's been called for that big block and for taunting he's been given a one game suspension and George Ioka has also been given a one game suspension uh, for his late hit on Antonio Brown as a hit on the defensive receiver after he scored a touchdown both legitimate, yeah? Yeah, like, the Aloka hit was like a helmet-to-helmet. Obviously, there's priors there with uh, Bengals' defensive players engaging in questionable behaviour on Antonio Brown, and at least it's been caught this time. And Juju Smith shoots her. Like, I think the, the hit from the back, there's a safety kind of consideration there, but the taunting is probably what made it, like, made it into a national kind of thing. Standing over the player and kind of taunting them is generally not a good way to ensure... Look at my dick! <laughs> So, yeah, he, Juju Smith-Future, he's a young man. Hopefully he'll learn a valuable lesson here. Uh, yeah. Don't take part in Cincinnati games, probably. Yeah, hopefully. just just sit him out. Safe for bet. <laughs> um, Baltimore quarterback Jimmy Smith has been suspended for four games for PED violations. And uh, Carolina defensive end Charles Johnson, the exact same four games for PEDs. I think Johnson will probably be missed quite a bit. Jimmy Smith, like... How big a part does he play? Jimmy Smith has been one of the best cornerbacks in the league this season. I think we might have just found out why. Yeah. Because uh, he wasn't very good before this year. Uh, he's, I think, tore his Achilles uh, this week. So he'll serve that suspension next season, presumably. Okay. But that is a big blow. He was the number one cornerback in, in, Baltimore. in Baltimore. And he mm-hmm. was having a storming season. But I guess we know why now. Yeah, it's interesting. Who's next man up there? I have absolutely no idea. Because I think it might decide whether or not I'm back in the Baltimore Ravens this well, weekend. It, mean, it means they have more pressure on their rookie, that they their first-round rookie. Oh, um, yeah. 
So he'll have to step onto the CB1 role. And if he's playing okay, but there's a question over whether he'll be able to. Uh, I'm not sure who they're going to bring in as the CB2 at this point. Yeah, sure, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, we'll trade them Revis. <laughs> <laughs> you can give them games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough, we'll move on to the controversy corner. So uh, this week we're looking at, uh, I think Harry, do you want to lead us off on this one? Social Responsibility Fund oh, yeah. has been suggested. The league trying to buy their way back into the good graces of all the protesting stuff. Uh, do you want to give us a kind of a quick high level on this? Yeah, it, it, so it's, oh God, it's a weird one. Um, it seems to have divided the players, which probably isn't what the NFL wanted, but probably isn't a bad well, outcome. It is divide and conquer. Yeah, it's probably isn't a bad outcome. Um, it's very much in the NFL mode of let's throw money at it and see if it goes away. So they basically said they were going to use a bunch of money to go through the charitable venues that they do, working with partners. Anyone who's looked into the NFL's uh, priors with this, be it with the uh, breast cancer thing, be it with the something called the Hopewell Foundation, there's a lot of issues that go on here, a lot of dodgy payments, a lot of sort of consultancy fees involved, and a lot of highly questionable degrees to which the money is channeled to what it's meant to be anyway. So that's the first red flag. The second one... Uh, and this was something that Eric Reed explained, because um, he's one of the players who's, who's opposing yeah. it, obviously. He basically said that the NFL's offer, and this appears to be correct based on the information available to us, would simply involve moving already earmarked charitable donations from different areas into whatever the NFL deems to be socially responsible, blah, which they haven't really defined yet. So, like, that's not good, obviously. God, imagine if they take the money away from, like, the salute to service thing mm. and put it into, like... Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna. Hello, have fire. Its... Have you met my friend Petrol? Exactly, lunacy. <laughs> but the fact that the NFL uh, couldn't even be bothered to say, okay, well, if we're going to do this, let's find some money rather than let's just take money away from other charitable causes indicates will, that this how, is bad faith. How will quite possibly the most, like the highest profit-making sports entertainment industry entity find some money? Like they're clearly broke with all the money there. Well, we discovered they can't give an extra twenty million dollars a year to Roger Goodell, so mm. well, maybe they are broke. Yeah, no, it's just sell the private jet and be grand, like that's it. Maybe we donate the private jet to. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's going wrong, and there now seems to be quite a bit of division on this. It doesn't seem like this is going to satisfy everybody. It's certainly satisfied Malcolm Jenkins, as far as I can tell, mm. but guys like Reed and uh, Michael Thomas and so on are, are less impressed. It's also worth noting that the Players' Coalition, which technically itself would then become one of the partners, is actually in a weird legal status where it's not technically a charity. And so there's a lot of, like, the more you dig into it, the weirder it gets, basically. So... This is not going to solve anything, Yeah, basically. It's like one of those um, symposiums, whatever you call them, uh, that the Eastern Orthodox Church used to have whenever there were two competing creeds, where they'd then come away after like a week of discussion, and the two competing creeds would still exist, but then their compromise solution would have created the third creed. Mm, somewhere and, uh, they'd all hate each other, yeah. Uh, hey, look, we can both agree on one thing. We all hate that third creed, right? But yeah, no, so this will, be, this will be interesting to see how it goes. Like, It just seems to be like NFL trying to find something to make themselves not look like such dickheads in this scenario. Uh, and unfortunately... The more you look at this, the, the the less it seems to be doing that. But the thing that seems to be eternally be the issue of like the people who aren't happy about this are normally the ones who aren't going to read too much into it. They're not going to question. They see the guys wearing pink gear on the field for the month of October and think, sure, this is great, isn't it? Doing something fantastic rather than looking into how that money is spent, how much of it actually achieves anything, where it's coming from. Like it, it's a thing that will probably help a lot of people to feel better about it because they won't bother to look into what's actually underneath it. So I suppose it'd be a good long one for, for, for over the off-season. We might have a look at some of the like sneaky, horrible things that they're doing behind the scenes that you don't know about. Oh, yeah, do an expose into the uh, 501c status of <laughs> whatever. Actually, do you see one cool thing, though? Um, Eric Reed and I think also Richard Matthews chose uh, Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights camp as their um, my, cause my cleats thing. Oh, very good. I like That's it. Nice, I like it. 
Uh, we'll move on to trades, extensions, and so on. Philadelphia wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey has gotten a four-year, $52 million contract with $27 million guaranteed. I thought this was a little high, but I don't know. Yeah, like they're they're playing well. He's playing well so far this season, although still a little bit streaky, to be honest, to yeah. my eye. Uh, and of course, the first game after he gets the signing, he he lays pretty much a duck egg against the Seahawks. So, like Alshon Jeffrey, there's always there's never been any questions about the talent, like the like the level of his talent. He's always been incredibly talented players, but when you look at his off-field activities, when you look at his like the PED history, and you look at basically his you know up and down dedication. It seems to the to his team, he like can he, he basically quit on a couple of Bears teams when they were basically out of the, the running. It's kind of yeah, it's a bit risky. It seems to give so much money to him, but I suppose when like the like it's only a year ago the Eagles were you know running out Jordan Matthews there. So when they got a wide receiver one or like a player who has that kind of quality, I'm sure they were kind of very cognizant that they didn't want to end up losing out in it. And I think like Alton Jeffrey probably would have got a contract of this same level in free agency regardless. So I think the Eagles might have got a slight discount. Uh, over what they might have had to compete against if they waited any longer. So, yeah. you know, it makes business sense, but I'm not sure it's necessarily still the smartest move uh, long-term. We'll see if it works out, to be honest. Fair enough. Arizona defensive tackle Corey Peters has signed a three-year $12 million contract at $7.25 million guaranteed. Seems a fairly cheap price. Mm. It's a rotation player. It's, yeah. You know, and Arizona, they're, they're basically presumably a rebuild, so there's no point in letting your kind of rotational decent players going because you'll probably have plenty of cap space uh, once you get rid of all those actual good players we'll see we'll see uh, and then just other news from the league uh, Darren McFadden retired we said last week surprised he was still hanging around at this point makes no sense to me but hey Darren McFadden you always had potential but you were made of glass for years oh my and with that I suppose we'll move on to look at some of the games from last week so first up in the Ring of Honor, we have uh, Carolina at New Orleans game. As we said, kind of a big game for what was going to be the future of the NFC. 21-31, to New Orleans stomp it again. Lads, can anyone stop this Ingram Kamara running back juggernaut? No. <laughs> like right now, this team's running back situation is absolutely ridiculous. Like the fact that you know New Orleans have turned from like basically the most pass-heavy offense in the league to one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league is the kind of like one-year transition that you so rarely see. And, like, Mark Ingram, he's having a great season. I think Mark Ingram's kind of like one of these players who has almost always been kind of underutilized, even though he always looks really good. But, like, Kamara looks like a different level. Like, like I think the difference in this game is that, like, Kamara, he's been a lot of, like, outside plays, a lot of pass plays, a lot of outside runs. But in this game, it changed. Not only was he showing that skill, of course, in a few of the plays and everything, but he also showed a load of grit and power going up the middle, especially on, on one of the touchdowns where he basically had defenders bouncing off him and getting into that, uh, like getting into that into the end zone. I think like for New Orleans right now with these two players, uh, it's really hard to imagine that there's any defense in the NFL that can stop them. The only one that he, like even might be able to do so is Minnesota, and that's obviously one of the potential NFC uh, playoff scenarios. But yeah, this is this is this is really exciting, and it really makes the it turns it makes the Saints so much more watchable after the frustrations of watching their one-dimensional attack so many years over the last three or four years. It's, it's no, of course, like we saw in this game, in this game, obviously Carolina looked looked quite serviceable in it. There was there was good elements to their game. They ran the ball well, but like they had two hundred and seventy-nine yards on offense. This is not looking like a team that can play from behind at any point. It looks like one that's set up to, if it can take a lead, just slow down the game and draw you out. They're they're loving their run game. They're loving taking it slow. But, like, 
you can't be you can't be winning games against the Saints if you can only put up just above two hundred and fifty yards, right? No, yeah, no, this is what I one of the things I said uh, last week when we were discussing this kind of stuff. I don't this isn't this running game isn't the dominant running game of the Super Bowl time. Like this is limited and has looked limited. Like Cam Newton can still do amazing things, and we saw him do them again this game, but he cannot do them like he did a few years ago. There is mm. more wear and tear there. There are concerns about his his health, and a, there's I think more of an instinct to protect himself at this point, which is reasonable. Like he's yeah. similarly. Stewart's looking old. The O line isn't looking great. McCaffrey, we know what McCaffrey's limitations are. Mm-hmm. I d- yeah, like I said, it's not going to win races. It's not really able to like throttle games in the way that it should be able to. When you're entirely dependent on your defense, when you come up with as Ronan quite rightly identified a two-headed running back team that nobody has like since that week five bye when they started integrating camera into the offense properly, mm-hmm. nobody has really had an answer for the Saints, and the, and the, 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 the that exposed the limitations of what is supposedly one of the better um, shutdown defences in the in the league, which we know has very athletic linebackers with the likes of Keekley and, and Davis and so on. But I, I, I'm just this is why I'm not sold on the Carolina team. And this team was exact this game epitomized that because when the ground game sort of couldn't really get going and when they were finding themselves limited and unable to like make chunk plays, bar one very impressive run from Cam Newton, mm-hmm. it, they couldn't turn through the air. Yeah. They no couldn't. Good. They do not have the talent there. Newton, we know, can be a good passer, but it's he's not the best at it. Yeah. And the wide receivers, yeah, what's it's happening? A bit, yeah. it's a bit confusing. I, and I think that's the big question. Like, you know, if we're thinking about Carolina and where they fit into the playoff picture, if they make the playoffs, that there's no certainty considering how many games there are against the big teams against each other over the last four weeks. But I think the big thing that could change it for them, obviously, is Greg Olson. Greg Olson was held out of this game because he has a sore foot. If Greg Olson can come back and like stay healthy enough to be you know, mostly effective, that could be the kind of boost that gives them the dynamism that could make a difference. Because right now, it's Devin Funches, basically the only playmaker available to Cam Newton. And Devin Funches is grand, but there's still very much deficiencies in this game, especially from a route-running perspective. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. next player you have is Russell Shepard. But if Greg Olsen comes back, like Cam Newton trusts him, Cam Newton knows what he can do, that would be the only situation I could see this offense building up enough steam to be uh, potentially good enough to actually come back against good teams. Like, they can come back against bad teams, like they did against the Jets, but against good teams like New Orleans, like Atlanta, like Minnesota, like the Seahawks, they're just not going to have the opportunity. Greg Olson might be the difference, in my yeah. opinion. Well, the thing is, like, we, we're saying that this is a team that needs to change a few things to be able to get into the into the hunt, but, like, they like they are literally a piece or two away from that. And to be fair to them, this is... Because we, we always talk about the offense when it comes to New Orleans, but the defense is actually a very strong defense. Even missing Lattimore, they are shutting people down. They have great players. Like, this, this, this defense is unrecognizable from where they were last year and the year before. If you just think about, like, they were our butt of our jokes, at least your defense isn't the Saints. But they've been looking very good the last, what, seven, eight games. When you look at like, the defensive talent... There are certainly players there who have actually been good and are now just getting the opportunity to play with a defence that's functioning overall. Like like Cam Jordan is probably like a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, but it's all it's actually been consistently good for the last few years. But I think the big difference has been some players who have just been kind of disappointing for them over a number of years have started to do stuff. When you think about people like Kenny Vicaro, for example, you know, he's someone who had flashed some potential over the last few seasons but had also had a lot of games where he was looking pretty bad. I believe they were looking to basically uh, ship him out at certain points over the last few seasons. That is a testament to the fact that you know they brought in Dennis Allen, 
He's made a change. Like they brought in Dennis Allen, he seems to have made a change there over time. I think that's a, a great testament to them. And I think getting someone in like Marshall Lattimore and doing it without him is a massive testament to that team. But I suppose it's also not hard just to go back to the first point, which is obviously when you're running the ball this well, the defense gets a lot of help because it's not on the field as much. It doesn't have to do as much. So there's definitely. I, I wouldn't give it all to the defense being completely improved. I would definitely give the offense a bit of credit for being a bit more. Uh, reliable this year versus previous years. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I think you have to, as well as that, like, agree Cam Jordan has been flown under the radar for the last three, two, three seasons, realistically. Um, but I also think there's one other thing that's is important to note, obviously, other than ditching Rob Ryan, which was uh, took took its time to manifest, which has been necessary. When you look at guys like, actually, like AJ Klein, who they picked up from the, uh, the Panthers in free agency, there's a lot more, like, kind of just solid rotational like guys in there than they were a few seasons ago and where they were trying to go out oh, let's get Jarius Bird to come in and sit on injured reserve for two years while collecting million. like mm-hmm. this is more about looking at like functionality scheme fit and so on rather than what was previously happening where they were just throwing money around randomly in FA to try and fix the defence and that I think has made a huge difference just from an organisational perspective and you credit the coaching I think you also have to credit the scouting and uh, personnel departments for being able to, to make that move yeah of course so as I say just to wrap it up it looks like we've got two teams here one of which is kind of complete and it's just a question of can they keep it running into the offseason one that's looking to turn the corner to make sure that they can compete there into the neutral zone we've got Minnesota at Atlanta 14-9 to this was an interesting game it wasn't quite the high powered affair we were expecting but it was again strong play from both teams uh, game for the purists we'll say does Case Keenum get a nice tasty contract at the end of the season and does he get it in Minnesota or what do you do? Cause yeah, I mean, it could be that the Vikings decide to roll with Keenum and let Bridgewater go. We'll, we'll see. Either way, Case Keenum is getting paid. The standard of quarterback play in the league right now is so poor on average um, relative to even where it has been three, four seasons, two, three, four seasons ago. You are going to make money. That's why guys like Mike Glennon can get paid. And you have a season like this out of Case Keenum. A guy who, yeah, he's a little older, but he hasn't got a huge amount of wear and tear. Who's showing what he can do in the right scheme with the right personnel and the right sport? NFC uh, Offensive Player of the Month, November. Like, yeah. like this. This is the question that, that, that's been asked a couple of times. Like, like, okay, so you're a bit surprised to see that coming out of him, but also, like, you don't even know if that's the ceiling of Bridgewater or whether Bridgewater, because everyone likes to romanticize it because he's been gone for a year and a half. But like, Bridgewater was a question mark whenever he like, disappeared. I thought, I thought, uh, Bridgewater was fine, and that's the thing. He was a developmental. He was being developed, and he looked like he was going in the right direction without being spectacular. So yeah, I know it's the coin flip. Do you take what you have, or do you you know go with it? And it's risky for the Vikings because you know the last thing they want to do is tie Keenum to a big big contract, and then it turns out this was just one of those one year things that happens, yeah. like happened with I don't know, pick Josh McCown, mm-hmm. um, or so every time a team signs um, Ryan, Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, except this year where he's fucking terrible. Yeah, so no, I think I think it's a difficult it's a difficult question for the Vikings. I mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. Hmm. Um, my instinct is my instinct is is that given what they were already willing to do to get Bradford in the interim, I think they will stick with Keenum and draft maybe. Yeah, and I think they will let Bridgewater go after a while. Because yeah. I think that's a perfect situation. Like if you come in to the draft uh, this year and you you pick a developmental guy in the back of the first round or, the, or you know in the second round, and you can put him behind Case Keenum. Case Keenum's earned the trust of the fans. And the coaching staff, and you can develop someone who perhaps has, you know, like maybe Case Keenum is actually a good quarterback. Maybe we're being held back by perception, or maybe we're held back by the fact he had to play under Jeff Fisher. <laughs> but 
Uh, I think, you know, like, I think everyone kind of still has those doubts with Case Keenum. And, you know, I think if you sign him to a longer-term contract, you could probably get him for what is reasonable money, considering it could be a potential franchise QB, in my opinion, and then put someone behind him in case you, you, you know, just so you have that bit of, like, leeway. You know, you don't want to go in maybe a high first round, but, like, yeah. but someone in the second round, someone, like, best-case scenario, someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, basically, who you can put behind Keenum. And if Keenum does falter, if this is just a one-year wonder, then you've got that guy coming in behind uh, and I think that would be the perfect move for Minnesota. And it's a good organization right now, so uh, it wouldn't be surprising if they managed to do that. Because it's not like there's anywhere else in the team that's like crying out for help right now. Well, that's it. Like as we could say, they're very, very complete because they, they've got they've got their two excellent wide receivers. They've got great line, all that kind of stuff. They well, outside of the injury, they have a they have a young running back who's sitting there ready to go. But this is almost certainly the best defense in the league. We even mentioned them in reference to who would be able to challenge other teams, like. This is the one that you compare yourself to at the moment. It's good on every single level. There's no place where you're like, oh, that's a weak spot. The weird thing about the unit is that there isn't necessarily the same amount of like stars. I think they might be suffering from the same kind of thing that these defenses get in their early years where um, because there's so much talent, because there's so much depth and there's so much challenging for positions, it's hard right now to say who's the star of the defense. Like There's a few candidates like Griffin and uh, like Xavier Rhodes, but I think no matter where you look at it, the player is good, is at least good, and is, and there's plenty of places where they're great. And I think that's just the kind of defense that people love. And, you know, you know, if you're a Kansas City fan or you're a Seahawks fan like myself, you know, you, you're kind of like, those are the kind of defenses that we loved, uh, you know, a few years ago. Mm. But obviously, as time goes on, <laughs> cap issue, as cap issues go on, I'm sure they'll have to make some difficult choices down the road. Yeah. But for the next couple of years, things are looking gravy down in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. But like we said, like, this is a very strong defense. Like, we see them shut down this Atlanta attack. Now, they took Julio Jones essentially out of the game entirely. They tried to get their running backs into it, used a bit more side-to-side movement and stuff, but they weren't really able to get it going. Like, is this the kind of stumbling that we saw from Atlanta earlier on in the season, and this is what they're destined to end up the season with, or is this just a, a function of the fact that they're up against the best defense in the league? I mean, Atlanta faltered against worst defenses this season, so I think certainly the fact they only scored nine points was mm. was a function of that. But I think it's been plain to see this year that this is not the same high-powered Falcons from last year now. Again, we can all go back to blaming Steve Sarkeesian. We've had this discussion a million mm-hmm. times. Where is it all going wrong? But ultimately, what I think is yes. If Julio Jones struggles to get into the game, this is a team that has had its best results when it's force-fed Julio. Yeah. Like, that's when the team has looked the best. That's what opens the... If, if suddenly a team is having to worry about Julio Jones getting the ball shit, we've got to double cover him, we've got to bring safety help over. Either Julio is going to burn you or somebody else is going to. When a team is able to handle Julio Jones one-on-one, which is a very unusual thing, that something... The Vikings have been able to do. Julio Jones has not had a good game against the Vikings mm-hmm. in a while. Then it becomes a problem. Then the weakness in the past game gets exposed. You know, previously they used to have all the last year when this happened, they had a lot of sort of trick plays and all this Tyler Gabriel stuff and Teron Ward stuff. They just don't seem to have it or doesn't seem to be working this season. Um, the run game looked okay, um, from uh, certainly from Freeman anyway, 12 carries, 74 yards, but it wasn't effective in the situational spots. It needed to be the Vikings were able to play a situational defense that they could never get going. Matt Ryan never looked comfortable. Yeah, like this team just isn't that good, I think. And it, mm. I think I think we have to just look at it that way, being like they are a solid team, but they are not a Super Bowl contender like they were last year. What do you reckon? Is Sarkeesian one and done? I still think he will be. Like I yeah. think if they miss out in the playoffs, which is looking you know very plausible right now because they have to play the Saints twice in their last four games. Yeah, that's almost a fireable offense. I think like Harry nailed it right on the head the difference this year is that like they've had some success when they've reverted to Julio Jones is the offense but last year they were getting that production from Devonta Freeman Tevin Coleman 
uh, from uh, like from like fucking uh, Taylor Gabriel was getting production. Gabriel. <laughs> These were all like they were new. They had chess pieces and they were using all of them to open up the offense and picking where they needed uh, to do it. Whereas Justine Sarkeesian just doesn't have that same depth of offensive planning. He doesn't have that same intelligence. He's just not an NFL offensive coordinator, yep. and it's showing up in a big spot where he has really all the advantages someone could really have yeah. in that situation. The, the only thing I can think of as a potential excuse is that like he's brought into this system, and they're not telling him to run his system. They brought him in. They told him just run what the last guy did. Like we're not changing like personnel. We're not doing anything. And it, like it looks increasingly like they're attempting bits of it, but he doesn't know how to do that, which is a bit weird. Like I, I, I think I'd, I'd be interested to see what he would look like if he got to. Like build an offense from the ground up rather than just come in and say look we have a winning formula just make that happen again it's a theoretical we can never actually see sure. but uh, um, we'll move on to the dumpster fire uh, oh welcome to the dumpster fire New England Patriots New England at Buffalo 23-3 to uh, this was an interesting game uh, New England's defense looked pretty good in this game uh, the Bills well, I'll tell you something the Bills didn't seem to realise that you had an offensive line. They were just <laughs> running through them like they were fucking ragdolls, like making shite of the line. Poor Tommy B is going to retire if you can't get a bit of protection on him, right? Yeah, that was a little scary. Uh, the lack of time Brady had in the pocket now, unfortunately. Brady's good enough and the Buffalo Bills are bad enough that it ended up not mattering. But he was certainly hit around, knocked around that game uh, under a lot of pressure. And the O-line has been much improved over the last season, season and a half, whereas Buffalo's defense looked like it had been just, their pass rush had been falling to pieces. Mm-hmm. So, while the O-line has never been the strength of the team, that seemed like an aberration of performance. And I'd be interested to see if that's something we see again this year. It hasn't been this bad against this bad of a team, and this demotivated of a team. But if this is something we see continually happening from this point on, and despite the fact that we've generally seen like really good play out of the likes of Shaq Mason and so on this mm-hmm. season, I, I really hope this doesn't become a trend because I agree. While Brady might have one of the quickest releases in the league, you still need to be able to give your quarterback some time in the pocket. Oh yeah, like that is. I think he was hit eight times in that game. Yeah. Uh, it's not sustainable. No, it's not I, at all. I, I think the good sign for New England is that, and this is what makes the difference between a good team like New England and a mediocre team like the Bills, is that they were able to adjust their offensive plan on the fly. They're able to get what continues to be a surprising amount of production out of Dion Lewis, who's having a really great comeback here. Uh, Rex Burkhead is making contributions in the last month or so, and you know they have other players around there. I think the fact that you know even against a good defense, even though Tom Brady was pressure under all under so much pressure, they were able to change the game plan, and that's why New England you know still has to be considered the favorite, even with whatever offensive line issues that might emerge. They are like one of the few teams that you like. They can scheme around it. They can get around this. They're New England. This is what they do. But my concern is that you can scheme around that for the Buffalo Bills. And look, I'm pretty sure we can scheme around that for most teams in the AFC at the moment because that's the state the AFC is in right now. Maybe not Baltimore, actually, but that's a separate issue. If you go in with your O-line playing like that against the Vikings or the Eagles or the Rams or even the diminished Seahawks, that's not a good look. No, it's not. Like, that is exactly what my concern would be for this, like... Like the, the Buffalo offense, if it could do anything, could have made this a much more interesting game because their defense isn't running at 100%. They shouldn't be getting this amount of pressure, but they were getting it, and they clearly just schemed themselves entirely to do that. They knew that their, that their one strength position they could try and push you around on is that, and if that can be planned by the Buffalo Bills midweek, like I'm sure as fuck it can be done for, an NFL, for a Super Bowl game. Yep. Outside of that, Buffalo Bills, I don't know what to do with this team. <laughs> Apart from not wanting to talk about them a huge amount because they beat the Chiefs, fold uh, <laughs> them and move them to Toronto. Yeah, yeah, just send them on up there. Let them let them just dominate the CFL for a while. <laughs> well, 
Well, like, like there are mitigating factors in this game. Like Tyrod Taylor was playing obviously hurt, mm-hmm. like the first three quarters, busy after the first drive. Uh, and Lashawn McCoy actually had a good game. He continues to get production. He's been a bit up and down, but I think over the last month or so, he's been back to the kind of player we know he can be. But the problem is, is that you know outside Lashawn McCoy and Tyrod Taylor, when he's fit running, there is literally none of this offense. Like we talked about midseason, like who is a team that we don't trust? I said at the times I don't trust the Bills because they don't have any any kind of dynamic offense available to them. They just have Tyrod Taylor, LaShawn McCoy, run, 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 run. Like they brought in Kelvin Benjamin. He got hurt almost straight away. Uh, Jordan Matthews has come back, hasn't done anything. Zay Jones was drafted in, hasn't done anything. Like Charles Clay is probably your most dynamic receiver this year. That isn't saying a lot about the quality they have here. And for a team like the Bills, which have such a history of kind of shooting themselves in the foot, when you go back to that first drive, where they, get, where they actually have their best drive, they go the whole way down the field and then throw an interception. That's the kind of thing which is just, it just kills a team like the Bills, where you have a coach like McDermott who's trying to change the culture around, but in one of the biggest games of the seasons where you're talking about kind of trying to keep in the race for the AFC wildcard spot, it's just the kind of thing that kills you, and it kind of speaks to the fact that like, you know, the same old Bills problem seems to be around for this team. Uh, it's hard to know if they can turn this around. Yeah, favorite uh, favorite stat of the game is uh, I can't remember the exact figure now, but I think uh, Zay Jones's catch percentage was something like thirteen or fourteen oh. percent. He had two catches on thirteen or fourteen targets. It was not uh, not an impressive showing. Uh, I suppose with that, we'll move on to some questions from the listeners. Okay, so this one comes in from one of the guys on Facebook, and it said, what would you do with Josh Gordon? He looked good this week. Would you keep him and build around him, or would you ring whatever trade value you can get out of him and see what you could get on the open market? Well, obviously, you can't trade him right now, but uh, they will soon be able to because they won't be in the playoffs. Uh, Unless, is there still a chance, Magic Mystery Machine? No. No. Oh, The the, the Broncos, however. (laughs) Mm, Just about, yeah. Somehow. the answer to this question is hell no. The Cleveland Browns have all the picks in the universe. They do not need any more draft picks. They have literally got two full, like basically a full team of draft picks from the last two years. If Josh Gordon continues to have the kind of game that he had after three years out that he had, there is no way in damn hell that you should be looking at doing any except for locking him up. Uh, I think they probably have another two more years contract. Yeah, all I, think they, I think they have him this, this year and next year. Yeah. So you keep him because you're the Browns. You have probably one of the, a, a player who has shown in the past that he's one of the best in the league. I think you know there's no way you should give up on that uh, unless he like does something stupid again. But by all accounts, based on what he's been saying in the media, based on everything that he's done, it really does sound like this guy has turned his turned his life around and for a team which did stick by him even when things were tough and I know there were business reasons why you would do that uh, I think it would be a bad look now to kind of throw that all away there's a chance he could be a legend in Cleveland like they don't really have much other many other people who could do that for them so I think no no way should they do this like that, that, that like based on just one game alone that's got them excited yeah. at least, at least, at least but, it'll keep the fans on side for the last four games run and run hear me out here though but what about draft picks? Like, <laughs> I agree with you completely. I agree with you completely. The, uh, uh, the, Cleveland is crazy. I'm probably do something really stupid, like try and flip them for draft picks. But thing, I agree. This is 
This is a building block. This is a guy who we know can get it done. He said two years left in the rookie deal because of all the fuckery. Why would you not? Look, him and, and Kaiser were clearly nowhere close to the same page. And the dude still had 85 yards. Mm-hmm. He's the second receiver this season to have that many yards against the Chargers. Well, the thing, like, Kaiser overthrew him yeah. several times. Like, if they were on the same page, he would have had 150, had, had 170 two yards. Two, like, this fucking... Like, you would have to be... I agree with Ron entirely. You would have to be insane to give away what is one of the best players at his position who is two years left for essentially no money. Do you know what the thing that confused, or not confused, but surprised me the most was uh, he's only 26 years old. Like, mm-hmm. he's been missing from the league, he's been around for this long, and he's only 26. Like, this guy's still yet to hit his prime as well. Uh, if he's got his head screwed on right, uh, this is perfect, which is exactly why they should trade him to the Chiefs for Alex Smith. I, um, I, yeah. well, I, I don't just wait for the Browns to, to like, draft Baker Mayfield with the number one, overall number oh, one God. pick and ruin their lives for another few years. Mm, uh, he's like. the... He's, he's the he's the one of the finalists for the Heisman Trophy and his most well-known endeavor this season, as well as being a good quarterback, was basically pointing at his crotch uh, after a particular play, uh, after having some off-season issues as well with some uh, arrests and such. Yeah. Uh, so that's a spoiler alert for the brand screwing up their draft in twenty. Oh yeah, of course they will. Baker Mayfield put a put a pin on it. And the and the <laughs> the problem is obviously the Browns have had it now. It was two years running where people have, like said, "Oh, look, they're smart. They're trading down. They're gathering draft picks, and they are passing on what could be." Franchise quarterbacks. We've seen Wentz. They've passed on um, the Chapel went to the Texans as well. Uh, Watson. Watson. Like just just loads of ones who have been good, and yep. uh, they're just like they're gonna have to pull the trigger, and they're gonna fuck it up. Um, what's the worst record that will get a playoff spot in the AFC? Uh, limbo, limbo, limbo for the AFC wildcard pick. Eight and eight. I'd imagine. I'm thinking, I'm thinking nine and seven right now because I think the Ravens and the Titans are starting to separate themselves a bit. And when you look at the, I think, yeah, I, I kind of feel it'll be nine and seven because I think the Ravens are starting to come into a bit of form. and can get those last uh, two wins that they need, I believe, uh, mm. or is it no three wins? I, I think, yeah, I think I'm a the... bit higher. I have a bit higher opinion of the AFC than I had, had it like a month ago. I think Baltimore uh, and the Chargers and the Titans are all kind of showing they can win games enough to kind of get to that winning record. Well, this is the thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at it going. I right, can't Chiefs win three games so we can get a wild card spot here because I still think the Chargers are going to take the West. But... I, I'm, I'm going to say fuck. It. I'm going to say fuck your wild card. I say the winner of the AFC West is going to go six and ten. Really? Yeah. Don't and think it's going to be Denver. Yeah. Don't think that's possible. Shut up. Given <laughs> <laughs> we play each other, we're going to have to at most get ties there. Six, nine, and two. Yes. That doesn't even, that's not even right. That's, that's too many games. <laughs> it's going well, Harry. It's I give up. Well. I retire. I retire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'd say yeah, it'll be... How is Harry in the picks this year? <laughs> Six, nine, and two. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we called some of them ties because he just wrote potato in... <laughs> Uh, Excuse me, like this is the first week I haven't written any poetry, so come on. That's true, that's true. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'd say yeah, it'll be low, it won't be as low as we would have maybe said two or three weeks ago, but uh, probably nine and seven. Holy shit, Indianapolis is still alive. Yeah, of course they are. In the hunt. That's amazing. Uh, that is amazing. But yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably, in about a week or so's time, we'll be doing a bit more of a closing in on what those brackets are starting to look like and who can go up and who can go down and all kind of shite. Uh, but yeah, it should be fun. So we'll move on. We'll have a look at the games for next week. So first up, we have New Orleans and Atlanta. Uh, we're taking New Orleans across the board. Fitz? Yeah, so this is obviously a heavyweight game and it's actually, the, this game will be repeated with the away fixture in a couple of weeks as well. So... Like this is a massive game in the NFC. Atlanta, after you know a disappointing loss at home against Minnesota, 
and getting taken over by the, the Seahawks uh, in the play on the wild card hunt, uh, are really need to win this game. They're at home again. They're playing New Orleans, but when you look at New Orleans, what they did against Carolina, and you see what that offensive that run game is doing to teams, I don't think Atlanta's like defensive line has really played up to be quality enough that you would actually trust them to get that stop. So I think when you look at this game, Atlanta are going to be desperate. Atlanta are going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at this. But New Orleans right now look like a better team uh, and look like that run yeah. game could run over anyone. Uh, and I don't think an Atlanta defense, which has really failed to step up, let's be honest, that's kind of an unspoken kind of storyline this year, uh, isn't good enough to get it done. So I give a, I give New Orleans the advantage here. And if they do, that pretty much means New Orleans are probably going to make the NFC South their own and are yeah. really just playing for the uh, for the bye week. Yeah, no, of course. I meant to say, actually, there's a lot of big games this week as well. Uh, next up is Harry's pick of the week is uh, Green Bay at Cleveland. Uh, One of the biggest games. Surprisingly very big game because I think this game will decide whether or not they're going to push Aaron Rodgers to come back early as well. Uh, I've gone Green Bay Fitz has gone Green Bay Harry's gone Cleveland tell us about it other than just salivating over Josh Gordon fuck okay so it was mostly <laughs> just salivating over Josh Gordon and what Josh Gordon is going to do to these fucking cornerbacks uh, in Green Bay this was actually one I wavered on so I changed my pick up at the last minute and I actually had Cleveland tar- circled for this this will be the game Cleveland win once I saw how Brett Hundley was playing and then we saw Green Bay run Pittsburgh very close and beat Tampa Bay and I changed my mind and I've changed my mind back and I'll tell you why Cleveland have been good at one thing really this year, which has been stopping the run. Brett Hundley is going to have to throw the ball in this game. The Green Bay aren't going to make headway on the ground against that Browns front seven. This, this game will be in the hands of Brett Hundley to, to throw the ball. That is not where you want to be right now. If Josh Gordon and Kaiser, after a week, have a little bit more of a connection, you saw what he was able to do to good cornerbacks in Casey Hayward and, and Terrence Williams in... Uh, in, I keep saying San Diego, so fuck it, I'm going to say San Diego. There'll be San Diego charges in my heart forever. Green Bay's defensive backs have been a flapping mess for most of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, Jameis Winston was able to go up and throw for over 250 yards after being out with an injury and sucking. There's no reason that Cleveland can't win this game, and I'm going to pick Cleveland to win this game because, honestly, I think this is, this is the one, really, this is the winnable game on the schedule. It's a team that matches up very poorly against them given how badly Brett Hundley has been playing given that they are essentially dependent on a run game which is not going to get going in Cleveland and also because this is the best thing for Green Bay because don't bring back Aaron Rodgers and injure him yeah like it would be it would be good to have that happen but I just think Green Bay get it done get her done like the only thing. counterpoint is Cleveland yeah, yeah I mean, Cleveland. That's a, and that is a fair point that I'm willing to concede yeah. on uh, Detroit and Tampa Bay are taking Detroit across the board Ronan we know that Matt Stafford is dealing with a bit of a hand injury but should be playing in this game uh, Tampa Bay right now are trash. Uh, yeah. They do things, but they don't really do enough things well. They do anything. Detroit are kind of, uh, I think, as you would say, Connor, inconsistent. But against the bad teams, they generally do enough to get the win. And since the basically their season is on the line at this point, mm-hmm. and their loss basically puts them out, I, I think they should be able to pull it out here. But keep an eye on Stafford's health. He's been so banged up that if he does get banged up even more, Tampa Bay will be given a chance. Yeah, of course. James Winston, by the way, did you see James Winston got savagely owned by Joe fucking Flacco. He needs to retire. What did he do? Joe Flacco fucking mocked him eating the W in the oh, press conference. Yeah. When Joe Flacco is just owning you, you have to, like, I'm sorry, you're, you're gone. Go home. That Go Joe home, Flacco, James. he's pure fire, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know he had it in him, but... Next up, uh, Oakland at KC. Uh, my game of the week uh, for a very sad reason. Uh, I've gone KC, Fitz has gone KC, Harry's gone Oakland. Uh, quite simply, this decides whether or not uh, either Kansas City or Oakland have anything to play for the rest of the year. Um, so it'll end up in a draw, so we'll both be live. Uh, but no, it's 
Yeah, this is a this is a rough spot. I've got I've got the feeling that we might lose, but the the one hope is that like when we won eleven straight games, we went one and five, and then we won eleven straight games. <laughs> We've just gone one and five. This is Andy Reid loading up to shoot for the fucking moon. Um, our offense looked proper again last week. The defense looked dog shit, but the offense looked great. Uh, can't put the blame on Alex Smith for that one. They figured out that there is actually deep ball. They need to get the running game involved, but I think they needed a game of throwing it deep to actually free up the space in the box again. Uh, this Oakland team is messy, injured, uh, it, it, inconsistent. We are messy, injured, inconsistent, but uh, I much prefer our coaching staff to their coaching staff and we're at home. Uh, I think these are going to be... This is probably going to be an exciting game, but not a very good game of football, I think. But it's because it's a very definitional game for both these teams as to what the trajectory of the rest of their season are. This should be a shootout, but like, watch for both teams to run the ball 50 times for an average of 2.3 yards per carry. This is the, this is the thing. Like, I'm hoping that this is going to be one where like, suddenly Hunt comes back mm. into it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough faith in that start of in any fantasy league, but we'll <laughs> see. Uh, next up, Minnesota, Carolina. Harry, we've got from Minnesota across the board because... Yeah, because like what we said, uh, Carolina are a team that struggle when they can't get out in front and then stall the game. Minnesota are the kind of team that just really don't let you do that. And I think we'll see a smothering defensive performance against what's been a sputtering uh, Carolina offense. Yeah. Another game for the purists, I, I would predict, to be honest. Mm. Uh, Minnesota could put up a lot of points in this one, actually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised I, to see that. I, don't, I, do think, I do think Carolina have a decent defense, uh, but we'll see. Next up, this is a bit of a surprise. San Francisco and Houston, we're taking San Francisco across the board. Uh, Go Garoppolo hype! Yeah, pretty much that, yeah. Yeah, uh, also Houston suck donkey dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, next up, we have Indianapolis traveling to Buffalo. I've gone for Buffalo. Fizzle has gone for Buffalo. Do you know what? Nah, fuck it. I'll go for. No, 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 no. Hold on. This, this is exact. I'm gonna stick with Buffalo. My rationale is, I was, I remember, I was about to go for Indianapolis on this, and then I remembered what Indianapolis's line looks like and what Buffalo just did to New England's line. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go for Buffalo. Uh, I think this is gonna be a terrible game of football. Uh, but I think we've seen Buffalo can turn it on at times Indianapolis can turn it on at times but this pass rush and defence from Buffalo is going to actually murder someone uh, given how that that offence line has worked in Indy this season this is, this is and if, if they end up having to start Nate Peterman just, just give it the ball just give the ball to LaShawn McCoy 50 times just don't don't try anything this, okay? this is the Indianapolis you should be able to stop Indianapolis just don't give the ball to them at the 20 yard line yeah there, Nate Peterman Free advice if you're listening. Like, I'm, 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 like Buffalo's defense has been consistently crap, and I'm not willing to, to turn it around on one outlier performance of a game that they were clearly extremely invested in winning, and essentially uh, was a dagger in their playoff hopes if they lost. And they lost. And how did they lose? Also, this is Jacoby Brisket's revenge game because, as we remember from his first start, was in Buffalo with an injured thumb, mm. where we had run out of quarterbacks and had no choice but to trot out a third string rookie with an injured thumb, and he didn't do very well. Yeah, I think he's going to go to town. Like I, I just like for. Genuinely, Indianapolis have lost some close games against some teams that are about as bad as Buffalo. Yeah, and they're going to lose another close won, one here. Possibly. 15 but I'm, to willing to take, I'm willing to take the coin flip on this one and say Buffalo are going to be down after that performance. Indianapolis have shown some fight. Buffalo have shown that they crumble when teams put up a fight against them. I just, I think this is a very winnable game for Indianapolis. And since I'm behind on the picks, I'm willing to go on the slightly downside. Oh yeah, like you're swinging for the fences on these. I am. Look, it's plausible. Uh, Chicago at Cincinnati. Gone from Cincinnati across the board. I was tempted to take Chicago here, but uh, yeah, just seeing their performance this week, I couldn't really justify it. Cincinnati 
they figured out how to use their run game. Uh, they have some weapons uh, that aren't just heads to throw at people. <laughs> like, I suppose you could you could call it that. These are not, this is not going to be a well played game, but uh, just Cincinnati seem to have enough firepower. Chicago started to let their rookie quarterback throw a little bit more, and that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go Cincinnati, and that one next up Dallas at New York Giants. God, it's sad to see how shit this game is going to be. Like this would be one that like you would have planned a year in advance to go to, isn't it? Like yeah. uh, Dallas across the board, Harry. Yeah, Dallas are going to kill him. Like the Giants. <laughs> they made it worse they keep every time you're like you can't get any worse than this they keep making it worse they've done it again we don't know who their quarterback's going to be we don't know who their coach's going to be we don't know if they're going to field the team we don't know which defensive back they suspect like, we don't know what's going on with the Giants whereas yeah. Dallas looked good mm-hmm. last week they looked up for it they looked like they got their shit together they finally finally were like well so we were handing the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott 25 times a game and we won then he went down and we started like running it almost nothing running it much less let's just give the ball to Freddie Morris 25 go, oh there we go we've won that's Dak Prescott. Well, breaking news, by the way, Eli Manning has now officially been named the starter uh, in week 14. Okay, so, so we do know, we who do know who's going to be playing. Doesn't really make a difference. I think Dallas should win this one pretty comfortably um, because, yeah, God knows the state the Giants are in. Again. Yeah, so uh, like, like I said, I, this isn't so much a me thinking Dallas have turned a corner and that I think the New York Giants have definitely not. <laughs> Next up, Tennessee at Arizona. Uh, I've gone for Arizona, you two have gone for Tennessee. Uh, Fitz? Yeah, like Tennessee right now don't look good, but what they keep doing is they manage to keep winning against these kind of soft targets that they keep getting given. Like Arizona, they've shown a bit more bite uh, since they brought Blaine Gabbard into the into the fold, but uh, the week just gone by, things didn't go particularly well for them <laughs> against the uh, Rams. I know the Rams are a good team, so I think like Tennessee, they just look like a team which is solid all around it's kind of underperforming where they need to be and you kind of get the feeling that if it comes down to a close play in Tennessee does have that extra gear that extra bit of level of talent they can kind of get something done Arizona they're a dead team at this point uh, and I don't think they really have enough to kind of get on the tank but yeah uh, Arizona have shown enough fight to certainly not make this a, a certainty by any stretch yeah like I've taken them at home I just I, like I've said it before I just don't trust this Tennessee team at all I don't think they know what the fuck they're doing with their own players I don't think they know how to game plan their own people Arizona have shown more spark recently can do a few things offensively I just yeah I just I just don't rank Tennessee at all Next up, New York Jets travel to Mile High to take on Denver. And we think they're going to do just fine. We've all taken the Jets across the board. Jets look good the last couple of weeks. They're getting serviceable play out of their team. They found some bits on offense. They've got one or two bits on defense, but not much. Uh, This is a Denver team that is dog shit beyond belief. Uh, They're wasting the windows of the prime time of an excellent defense and uh, still don't know which one of their three quarterbacks is the worst of the three options so Jets across the board uh, if, if they just get like right now bear with me here uh, Paxton Lynch's and Brock Osweiler are both really tall right mm-hmm. what if whenever they're playing them they just put them under center and then just tell them to fall forward could do so if you put one on the other one's shoulders yeah 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 exactly yeah, you saw, and then they both fall forward that, you do that mm. three times you got a first down definitely definitely uh, strategy god Denver shit <laughs> Uh, Washington the Chargers uh, I've taken Chargers Fitz has taken Chargers Harry's taken uh, the Mazungus yeah well the, the the logic here is that the Chargers are the kind of flaky ass team that Washington are able to beat being a flaky ass team themselves we've seen tremendous displays from Philip Rivers but we've also seen them falter whenever they come up against teams that are able to put a bit of backbone into their defense we saw them like flail around against Jacksonville 
and win. We saw them flail around against Cleveland for a very long part of that game and win, based on the ineptitude of the opposition. Yes, Dallas got, uh, sorry, Dallas blew out Washington last week, but before that, Washington were on a pretty solid run of performances. And that's what they are. They are a weird, flaky team, but they have the kind of spine that uh, the Chargers themselves being a weird, flaky team have have crumbled against when they haven't been able to get things going that has to be written all over it. Chargers coming in with a chance to take control of the division and just fucking it up. I'd love you to be right. Uh, I really would. I think the the one thing that's been said, like Washington have suffered another series of offensive line issues over the last couple of weeks, uh, which saw the effect in Dallas... Obviously, the Chargers have one of the better front, like you know, defensive ends in the league. People who can get to the quarterback. Uh, so Kirk Cousins, he's shown he can do stuff under pressure, but the amount of pressure he'll face against uh, Joey Bosa and Ingram, it's good, probably going to be enough to make. For me personally, it's likely to make the difference. I think Chargers are quite possibly the third best team in the AFC at the moment, and I think that they will steamroll the shit out of this Washington team. Uh, Not so much about the AFC, doesn't. Yeah, but the thing is, I genuinely think they've been very good over the last couple of weeks. And even though they've had some flaky bits and they've fucked around in games, I just think the talent level is there and they can turn it on. And yeah, Seattle at Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I've taken Seattle. Fitz taken Seattle. Harry's taken the Jacksonville Jaguars because he really needs to catch up on the. <laughs> um, I know. I don't think it's an illegitimate choice. I think they're a good team to be picking. But like you, you have gone out your own on five, five you games. Like whatever. Uh, Fitz, tell us a bit about this. So it's your homer pick. Well, yeah, like I think, you know, if you look at the two teams, like the Jacksonville defensive line matches up fairly well against the Seahawks offensive line. Well, the Seahawks offensive line has shown some improvement since Dwayne Brown came in and has gone from being like absolutely terrible to being like acceptable. Uh, obviously, they have Russell Wilson magic bullshit on their side. And they also, the fact that this is Jacksonville, it's an odd week. That means they're always twice as bad as they are. On an, like, sorry, uh, <laughs> this is an even week, which means they're always like twice as bad as they are on an odd week. Week thirteen, amazing. Week fourteen, we'll see. Uh, and I think, like you know, base, like Seattle just got a big statement to win last week. I think their tails will be up. I think the defense showed a bit of bite there. And really, all they need to do is to have the defense ensure that Leonard Fournette is bottled up and Blake Bortles is given enough time to throw an interception for a pick six. Uh, like I think this is one of those games where whoever can get the most pick sixes will probably win. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if there was more than like if there was at least one for each team to be honest based on the like the respective quarterback situation in Jacksonville and the quality of that Jacksonville defense over the course of the year so here's my logic and this isn't one of those like out there picks like oh I think there's a chance of Indianapolis winning no I just genuinely think Jacksonville should win this game yes even weak Jags fair enough but firstly you've got a team that Yes, Russell Wilson bullshit magic is remarkable, but if there's a team that A, has the athleticism in its pass rushers and front seven to chase him down, it's probably this one. If there is a team that has the skill and discipline in the backfield to stick with what is, let's be honest, not a superstar series of receivers, although some very good ones, certainly, to mean that that magic is going to extend, have to be extended longer and longer and longer and increases the chances of somebody being able to get home or Wilson having to throw the ball away. It's this team. This defense has looked so good at times this season. And I think we've seen less good teams cause the Seahawks sufficient problems on offense, particularly with the porousness of the O-line, which, I'm sorry, Dwayne Brown, great, Dwayne Brown might block his man. The other, it's not going to happen if everyone's just running around him and running over the other guys. This Jacksonville D-line is going to, I think, give Seattle absolute fits beyond what other teams have even been able to do. Like, Calais Campbell has, was when he was in the Arizona, was an absolute bastard, to be honest. So, this is probably not one reunion that the Seahawks uh, 
offense is looking forward to have to deal with again. Yeah. So Calais Campbell to have a great game. I get where you're coming from. They're very good defense, but if there was a, if there was a defense who was going to do that and a team that was going to do that to him, it was the Eagles, and the Eagles couldn't do it against them. Uh, Seattle have changed their play calling. They know they can't get the run going, so they've got fucking four wide receivers. They're getting rid of the ball quickly because they know their O line is awful. They're basing themselves around getting the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands quicker. I think they're just going to do. I think I think they're setting themselves up for a run here, and we're going to see it them basically getting practice against a good strong defense. Uh, Philly at Lele Rams. Uh, <laughs> I'm kicking the Rams, and I'm getting it on my own. It would appear. Uh, Fitz has gone for Philly, and Harry's gone for Philly. I know Fitz has gone for Philly because he just he wants the Rams to drop a game. Ari, just because they're a good team, I presume. This should be a really good game yeah. between two really good teams. I think despite Philly uh, falling to, to Seattle, I think that right now they are still a better team than the Rams. We have seen the Rams do very well, but we still know their vulnerabilities Rams to the run, and that there are still moments of indiscipline that cost that cause that team to give up big chunk plays. Mm. Versus what I think what we've seen consistently from Philadelphia is that it's going to be very, very difficult for the Rams to get Todd Gurley going. Mm. And when the Rams struggle to get Todd Gurley going, they struggle to get the offense going. I think that, for me, is the key matchup. Right now, I favor that uh, Philly front seven to shut down the run game. And without the run game, forget the pass game, yes, Goff is much improved, but I don't think he can do it all by himself against the team that's going. Like my My thinking here is basically we're looking at a Philly team who's on the road now for two weeks straight on the far side of the country, trying to go up against a very tough team. Like If anyone's going to be tired or anything is going to be softening at this point, it's going to be the Philly team rather than the Rams team, I think. Uh... I think it's going to be an excellent game, and I just thought it would be, be worth a shot. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. I've gone for Baltimore, question mark. <laughs> and you guys have gone for Pittsburgh. Why are you going for Pittsburgh, Fitz? Well, Pittsburgh actually have an offense. Uh, <laughs> like, Baltimore put up some points last week, but not really a situation where you're like, oh, well, I think they've turned the corner. While Pittsburgh have Antonio Brown, hopefully, uh, and Le'Veon Bell. And both of them are probably two of the best players in the entire NFL and are making Ben Roethlisberger, who's basically on the downs of his career, continue to look like actually a pretty good quarterback. Hmm. Uh, like the defense missing Shazier, I think that does make a big difference and does reduce the dynamism. But against the Baltimore offense, they don't necessarily need to do a huge amount. <laughs> the Baltimore the defense looks really good, like actually world class against the bad offenses of the league. But Pittsburgh are not one of those, and I think we'll see in all those games where the Baltimore's defensive frailties will actually show true that they're like they're a good defense, but they're not the actual, you know, all-time Baltimore defenses that they're kind of getting compared to occasionally when they have these good performances Fair against young teams. Yeah, well, I think the loss of the loss of Jimmy Smith is, is huge as well. Like, yeah, you'd be hoping he'd be the guy who could shut down Brown. Um, yeah, like this is going to be another game where Pittsburgh are going to look shit and win. This is my thing. Like, I think Pittsburgh have played down a couple of games so far. I think they're lucky that people have been able to close them out. Like Cincinnati don't have the quality to close them out in a game that they should have closed them out and beaten them in if they hadn't fucked up. Like they're due to drop a game. This Baltimore defense is exactly the kind of thing that'll give them fucking fits. And I just, I just see them playing down again in this game. And then they always, they always want to have that game that they lose to get themselves up. They're looking past this game as well. Like their, their coach was on the radio a week and a half ago saying we're only concerned about playing the Patriots at the tail end of the season. Yeah, so that's going to be the first of two meetings, and it's going to decide where we get to play the final one. He's looking at the championship game, and that's bullshit. And it means that people look past games like this, and it's easy to look past games like this. And this is a Baltimore team that has a world class defense, and that will surprise the shit out of them. Uh, like like their offense isn't great, but who needs a fucking offense if your defense can score twenty one points? I like that we describe a world class defense in a sport that's really only played in one country. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If they're the best in America, where else has a better NFL? 
Bills. I just love that like, the football is a world championship, and you're like, yeah. it's not a world. At least, at least, at least with the baseball, they let an Asian team or two play. So then there's a partial. The, Can the Canadian teams? Canadian mm. teams. We want to keep hockey. an eye on the you know NFL sponsorships in the future. We have to call it the World Championship. That's what they call it. So yeah, it is what it is. Well, it will be the World Championship once there like, once, yeah. once there's the London team. Uh, New England <laughs> at Miami. Uh, we've taken New England across the board. Uh, who plays quarterback for Miami? Uh, is it Jay Cutler at the moment? I think it is. Well, that would probably be why we're all taking New England, I'd imagine. Uh, no, yeah. one, no one cares. Miami are dead. Never speak of them again. That'll do, uh, that'll do for today, I suppose. So, as always, uh, hit us up on the line with any of those questions and bits you have. Any plans for the rest of the week, lads? No, I've got my Green Party thing on. and uh, that's what, Although, yes, actually, I do have one other thing on. I'm going to see Hypnotic Brass Ensemble in the Sugar Club. Oh, the year oh, yes, on Saturday. Yeah, on mm. Saturday. Um, it's a shame, shame you're not able to make it. Ah, uh, yeah, flat out at the moment. Uh, uh, yeah, you're busy. I'm off to, off to. Uh, uh, on Friday night, I'm going to Elf in the Lighthouse Center. Uh, Very good. So they're doing Elf uh, fancy dress party for it, and then uh, on-screen karaoke in the cinema afterwards with Christmas songs, which would be great. Right? Uh, I was that actually. I was there last week for the Die Hard screening. It was brilliant. They had a Nakatomi Plaza party. Oh, so they yeah, even, like, I saw this. They had like. Um, cartoons of all the characters done up and they even had like a section where you could lie on the ground against like uh, on a black uh, screen top and then behind it was the uh, was the uh, building as you fall away from it so you can so you can recreate Alan Rickman oh, falling off the top <laughs> and they had a woman there with a thing full of uh, ice chips so that whenever they were about to take the picture she'd throw them in the air so it looks like the glass is breaking behind you as you're going down oh, it was great fun Very great good. fun Very altogether um, but yeah what about yourself it's any plans for the weekend our housemaid is moving out, so we're doing some viewings this weekend. So I have to sort out all the cleaning of the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. Ah, fun uh, times. It'll be quiet. Oh. Also, we're probably going to see the disaster artist if I have time. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that, actually. Uh, well, well, I'm not. I'm kind of concerned because I, obviously the room I, is hilarious. Mm. Uh, the book, The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero, is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I have never seen the Franco brothers do anything good ever in the history of ever. I've seen them do some good bits, but this is uh, this is apparently like everyone's just saying this is going to have Oscar all over it. It's meant to be phenomenal. Literally, everyone has said it's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see it, but I'm, I'm expecting to be disappointed, and if I'm not, I'll be very happy. I'm sure you've heard online that uh, the initial viewings have happened and it's received very high marks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Right. I read that online. And I was like, "That is too good." In the podcast. <laughs> oh god! We're not, not going to top that. Oh, that's good. So it's bye for myself, bye from Harry, bye, bye from Roman. Uh, hit us up online. It's been awful. <laughs> 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 You're tearing us apart. <laughs>